You're listening to the Dean's Dissertation, the Cleveland Sports Review and Beyond, with your host, Greg Brenda. Hey, everybody, and a pleasant good day. Greg Brenda here with another edition of the Dean's Dissertation. I'm going to call this a happy dissertation. I'm going to call this a happy day. Now, a lot of you have listened to me over the years and on these podcasts, and I'm going, boy, he's just a grumpy old man. Nothing seems to make him happy. He's always complaining about something. Cleveland sports is horrible, and, you know, it's this and it's that, and he doesn't like this person or that team or that GM or that front office personnel or the fans. And, well, a lot of that is true. I raise my hand and I firmly admit that, that that is true to some degree. But I also am fair. I I have always billed myself as the fairest sports person on the planet. Now, I'm sure somebody would debate that and I'm sure somebody would say, come on, Greg, we all know that's not true. Well, I've always made it a goal of mine, seriously. And I'm not... not, um, Uh, making any light of the subject, I try to be fair. And I think sometimes fairness comes with a little negativity. I think sometimes fairness comes with a little positivity. It really depends where you are in the situation. I think it really depends on where you place yourself in all of this and how you go about, you know, figuring this out. You know, I have a certain take about the Cleveland Browns Part of that has been a a, a residual effect that has gone on for decades that I can't get away from. I can't ignore it. I can't forget it. So that's where everything starts with the Cleveland Browns. The Indians are a different story. They were a bad team early in my life, and it took a long, long time before they got good. Then they went bad again for not a a whole long time, long enough, though, and now they're good again. So every team comes with a different history. Every team comes with a different perspective and starting point about where you form your opinions. The Cavaliers have always been um, a favorite of mine. I remember when they came into existence in 1970. I was just starting high school when the Cavaliers came into existence. I loved the Cavaliers. You know, back in those days, unless you went to the game, what, maybe 10 games were televised in an entire year? Yeah, way back when. A lot of you who are a lot younger don't even, you can't even fathom what it's like not having every game on television. Today, Every game's on television. So you get to see everything. Back in the day, and, you know, the 70s to me aren't that far back. I Well, I guess maybe they are because it's uh, 40-some years. You know, it was a bonus to get games on television, whether locally or nationally. And that's how it was for every team, except for a few baseball teams that had the good fortune to televise all their games like the Chicago Cubs, the Chicago White Sox, uh, the Atlanta Braves uh, on, you know, the the origination of cable on TBS. Heck, not even all the New York Yankee games were ever televised. Think about that for a while. But as I said, my, my love for the Cavaliers goes all the way back to the very beginning. 
And amazingly, in a few short years, the Cavaliers got really good, got to a point where the Cavaliers were favored to win an NBA title. Well, a broken bone in Jim Jones's foot kind of put a stop to that. And, well, we didn't really get to see a Cavaliers championship until a couple of years later, uh, or I should say a couple of years ago. We had some really, really, really good teams in the late 80s and early 90s under Lenny Wilkins with Brad Doherty and Mark Price and Larry Nance. Great guys, great team, but not good enough to beat the best teams in the NBA. Good enough to become fan favorites for a long, long time. And, you know, that carried a lot of weight, but they just weren't good enough to win an NBA title. Finally, we got LeBron James here. Didn't get it the first time. Left for four years. Cavaliers were awful and miserable. Came back. And it culminated in the second year with an NBA title. And a lot of people just wondered, were we going to just have one? Were we going to have multiple? How long was LeBron going to stay? Well, all those things, uh, you make for great topics, make for great subject matter, make for great conversation. But really, it's about the here and now and what can you do for me today? Cavaliers won a title in their second year. We have already relived last year, and this year may have been one of the strangest, oddest years um, I have ever witnessed, not only just watching the Cavaliers as a fan, as a young fan, but but, but covering the team for the last 40 years. We all thought, okay, there's at least one year left in this team. We really don't know if LeBron James was going to stay beyond this year. But the Cavaliers adjusted their roster. Did Kyrie Irving a favor, kind of acquiesced to his demands about getting out of here. And really kind of changed the roster. What we didn't realize initially that the guys who the Cavaliers brought in were just not the right fit. They weren't the right fit. They weren't young enough. They weren't athletic enough. They ultimately weren't committed to each other enough. And most certainly, defense was a strange, strange word collectively for these guys. And up until a few days ago, it was uh, the Titanic. It was a ship hitting the iceberg. It was, well, as Kobe Altman, the, um, the new GM for the Cavaliers, pointed out, a slow marching death. Yeah. When the GM thinks that you're marching towards death or walking towards death or crawling towards death, it's never a good thing. It really isn't. I know there were a few people who thought, oh, come on, it's still early. It's still early February. We got LeBron James. Everything will work itself out. These guys will realize come April that, you know, they got a chance to, you know, you know, ride a championship wave. Folks, I think sometimes you just got to look at the situation, take a step back and go, wow, you know, I, I. My gut feeling, my instinct says, 
This is not going to happen. This is not good. This is this is really bad. And if things don't change, the the ending is going to be something that um, we're all going to hate. We really are. And just prior to the trading deadline, those few door, short days leading up to it, a lot of people were speculating about just what the Cavaliers could do or what were they willing to do. A lot of people looked at Kobe Altman and said, okay, Kobe, you made one big trade. You traded Kyrie Irving, the second best player on the team, because I guess you wanted to get out of here or refuse to play with LeBron again or threaten to have knee surgery and would be unavailable for the year. The other part of that was Dan Gilbert inquiring right after the NBA season about other players, and dangling the name of Kyrie Irving. I kind of think that's the way it went. Irving got wind that his name was being dangled out there quite quickly after the season ended and got offended, took offense, and said, okay, I don't need this. I'm going to get out of here as soon as possible. Whatever the reason was, whatever the situation was, um, it 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 appeared that it wasn't going to work. So Kobe Altman made the trade with the Boston Celtics. And at first we thought, okay, you got a great pick. You're going to get a lottery pick because the Brooklyn Nets are not going to make the playoffs. You got Jay Crowder, who everyone thought was just one solid rock defensive player, great journeyman player, not a star, but a guy who really could help you out. And the wild card was Isaiah Thomas, who was hurt. Beginning of the playoffs, needed, you know, his hip fixed, was out for seven months, but was determined to come back and show the world in his, you know, free agent year that, you know, he was a guy that you'd want to build around. He was absolutely magnificent for the Celtics last year and Cavs fans and literally everybody in the Cavs organization and Cavs media. We're waiting and hoping that, you know, you'd see the, the real Isaiah Thomas eventually. Well, what we saw was a mere shadow of what Isaiah Thomas was. But what was even worse was the fact that when he finally got a chance to play, he became an alpha male, an alpha player, and essentially said, okay, LeBron, it's your, it's your team and it's my team. Now, he didn't say that outwardly, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, if you were reading the tea leaves, if you were watching this team, you had to come to that conclusion that that, that was what was going on here. The problem was Isaiah Thomas was still trying to find, find his rhythm for 15 games, and he never found it. But on top of that, he became a locker room lawyer. He became a mouth in the locker room. You know, it's one thing for a new guy to kind of settle into the situation, look at the people who were there, kind of try to adapt your personality, the way you play, the style of your play to everyone else, figure out what the coach wants, and again, He also had another issue. He was trying to come back from a severe injury that, again, everybody thought, well, this is a great guy. He works hard, nice guy. 
You know, he wants to, you know, show the Celtics that they made a huge mistake by trading him. And then eventually he'll come through. But personality wise, he started to wear on the team. He wore on everybody, including LeBron James. He wore on the coach. You know, I was thinking about when was IT best for the Cavaliers? You know when IT was best for the Cavaliers? When he wasn't playing, when he was sitting on the bench in street clothes, wearing a nice sports jacket and cheering the team on. That's when Isaiah Thomas did his best work for the Cavaliers. Not when he donned the uniform and put it on and tried to become the Isaiah of old. Not when he donned the uniform and started to lecture players in the locker room. And that fateful team meeting of a few weeks ago, I think really sealed the fate, not only for Isaiah Thomas, but for the entire ball club and where eventually it was headed. And it was not, and I mean, it was not a good place. Yet again, some of you thought this would all pass, that, you know, these are all great NBA players. They would figure it out. They would come to a, you know, universal conclusion of how to um, get it all done team-wise. Well, the stark reality, folks, is it, it just didn't happen. But we didn't know if the Cavaliers really could fix this. We didn't know if there were trading partners out there. We didn't know how aggressive Kobe Altman could be, would be, even if he knew what he was doing. Well, a week ago, Kobe Altman kind of shocked the world. The first trade culminated with Isaiah Thomas and Channing Frye being traded to the Lakers. And we all thought, wow, right off the bat, he got rid of Isaiah Thomas. He had, he had to get rid of Isaiah Thomas. And I think everyone was happy. I think everybody was a little shocked that he was actually traded and that he was the first to go. But just a few minutes later, after, after the initial shock of that trade, the next thing you know, Jay Crowder, Derek Rose, Dwayne Wade, Iman Shumpert, they were all gone too. And we started going, oh my God, the Cavaliers just traded half their team. They did. In a span of an hour, Kobe Altman had a roster adjustment. He had a team adjustment. He had an attitude adjustment. And the next thing you knew, the Cavaliers were brand spanking new. Out went the old, in came Jordan Clarkson from the L.A. Lakers, six foot five, 25 years old. In came Larry Nance Jr., whose dad played for the Cavs 20 years ago, six foot nine, 25 years old. In came Rodney Hood, six foot eight guard, 25 years old, averaging 16, almost 17 points a game. And in came the veteran George Hill, only 31 years old, point guard, shooting guard, wing player, tailed off a little bit this year, but has had really good success in the past. 
it seemed like the Cavaliers traded what they had to trade to get a bunch of guys who they thought could be a better fit. And let's face it, folks, there are no guarantees. No one was quite sure if these four guys who the Cavaliers added were going to be the right fit. But we knew one thing. The old was not going to get it done. And those of you who were hanging on to the old getting it done, I just don't think you ever saw the light. I really didn't. Even Dwayne Wade, LeBron's buddy, was sent packing away with the blessing of LeBron James. And there have been reports that Dwayne Wade wasn't even happy here, that he missed Miami, that ultimately he wanted to go back to Miami, that playing in Miami was even a better, was even a better deal than playing with his best friend LeBron James. Just as long as it was Miami. So the Cavaliers accommodated him. LeBron James accommodated him. And now LeBron James had four new teammates. And even before they put on a uniform, even before they played that game against the Boston Celtics the other day, LeBron James seemed energized. He said he seemed energized in the game prior to the NBA trading deadline because rumor has it LeBron was informed that the Cavaliers were trying to make some deals to make this team better. And I would bet a lot of money it was also whispered in his ear, hey, LeBron, we are really, really, really trying to get rid of Isaiah Thomas. And I think that met with approval. And LeBron wasn't going to show it outwardly, at least right away, although, again, it seemed that he was re-energized in the game before. So now the Cavaliers had four new guys, had about two hours of practice, and all of a sudden, in Boston, nationally televised, where the Cavaliers had been trounced eight straight times until they finally beat Minnesota last week in a nationally televised game, just pummeled the Boston Celtics. The expression on Kyrie Irving's face was priceless. The joy and the smile on LeBron's face was priceless. The Cavaliers had made the deal. LeBron James seemed ecstatic, if not beyond ecstatic. Seemed re-energized that he had some new teammates who seemed to be unselfish, who seemed to be more athletic who seem to be, at least for now, and again, we just have a little bit to look at here, guys who would help the team do well. Folks, we got a still a, a long way to go. There's still a couple of months left in the regular season. And you know what? That's a good thing. Because the Cavaliers need to practice with these new guys. And trust me, there will be some ugly games before the end of this regular season. It's going to happen. There will be nights where it will look like they're not meshing. But that's just the natural order of things. That's what happens in the NBA. And ultimately, I don't know how this will all end. It seems to be a better deal. These guys seem to be a better fit. Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance Jr., Rodney Hood, George Hill, all seem to be working better. Even Ty Lue seems to be energized. 
Will it culminate in the uh, Cavaliers winning the NBA East? Hopefully. Will it culminate in the Cavaliers winning another NBA title? Hopefully. But there are no guarantees, folks. There are absolutely no guarantees. I don't know. All I do know is, and I truly believe this, that had the Cavaliers stayed the course with what they had before, it was never, never, never going to happen. I don't know why. A lot of it had to do with the, you know, we all thought that, you know, that LeBron James and Kyrie Irving had an interesting relationship. I don't think there was really any relationship with LeBron James and Isaiah Thomas. I wish I'd say a Thomas well. I don't quite understand why he thought he could literally take control of the situation. I think his ego got out of hand. I think having the best he could be or being the best he could be so he could get a max deal was really the only thing weighing on his line, on his mind. Yeah, I think he wanted to show the, uh, his, his former teammate up, the Boston Celtics, but I think ultimately Isaiah Thomas wanted to get paid. He wasn't making $7 million. And I think he thought, this is my opportunity. I'm not a young man anymore to show the NBA world that I deserve a lot of money. Well, I don't know what he's going to get. There's a lot of people who think that he won't even stay on the Lakers. I don't know. I don't care. He's not a part of the Cavaliers and will never be a part of the Cavaliers. Cavaliers got rid of a major problem, a major chemistry issue, and now seem, at least for now, on the right track. We'll all see if it works out eventually. Again, we have a long, long way to go. But that start against the Boston Celtics in Boston on the night that they retired Paul Pierce's jersey was very, very sweet. Down the road, I'm going to be talking a little more basketball, not just about the Cavaliers, but about the Ohio State Buckeyes. The Buckeyes have been kind of in nowhere land the last couple of years under Thad Mata. Well, Thad Mata is no longer the coach. Chris Holtman is. I think a lot of you don't even know who Chris Holtman is. If you don't know by now who Chris Holtman is, you better. At the beginning of the year, not many people thought that the, that the Ohio State Buckeyes would do well in the NCAA this year. Recruits left. Players on the team left. They were down to walk-ons and a few scholarship players. But here we are, lo and behold, with a few more regular season games remaining, the Ohio State Buckeyes are shocking the college basketball world, and they're shocking the Big Ten. 22 and 5 overall, 13 and 1 in the Big Ten. A lot of the pundits thought at the beginning of the year, and I raised my hand, they were going to be near the bottom of the Big Ten Conference, 11th, maybe last. Right now, they're battling Purdue for the top spot along with Michigan State. They have played exciting, disciplined, energetic basketball under Chris Holtman who right now should be coach of the year. So down the road, we're going to talk more about the Ohio State Buckeyes as we head into March Madness and where we see the Buckeyes ending in all of this. Dan Dockich, the former coach at Bowling Green, former player at Indiana, now a college basketball commentator, has his son playing on the Ohio State Buckeyes. And at the beginning of the year, Dockich 
proclaimed that the Buckeyes would be in the Final Four. I read that and I go, Dan, 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 what, <laughs> what are you saying? I know your kid's on the team, but where are you going with this? He might be a genius after all, folks, because the way they're playing, there aren't many teams that can beat them, and they certainly have done their job. So we'll be looking forward to talking some, some Ohio State basketball right down the road. All right, folks, that's another edition of the Dean's Dissertation. Hope to hear you and talk to you down the road. Subscribe, rate, and return for more with the Dean.